Damn, son, where'd you find this? Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode 12 of the Fly Route Podcast. I am your host, Anthony, aka Tony Playboy. It's a Playboy affair. It's a a Playboy affair. And I am joined here by one of my best friends, Demarcus, aka Nigga Marcus, aka that Houston plug, aka Will Fulham Drugs. How you doing today? You know, I'm having a really good day, actually. Word? I'm, I'm, I am upset about the Will Fuller thing, because he's been crazy for me in fantasy on one of my other leagues. But if he did it, he did it. Look, him and a cornerback from the Houston, Texas, have been suspended six games for violating the performance-enhancing drug abuse policy for the NFL. I mean, luckily, it, do- it doesn't really affect anything. Um, Houston was, I don't think, ever going to the playoffs. No. Like Deshaun has got chance. his money. Like, maybe they want Fuller back next year, but he's going to cost a lot, I think, even with the suspension. Yeah, that, that's facts. That's facts. So, you know, last week we got up here. DeMarcus was in his fresh white cowboy fit up. You know, he said, you know, it's not not our year. Damn, how you feeling about that today? I'm still fine. Again, not on track to get the number one pick, so that means we still probably keep Dak. We pay Dak, which is what ultimately what I want. Say, so you said it's not not your year, and then y'all became the marquee game for Thanksgiving. You know, America's football holiday. Okay, and let the Washington football team. I will demolish say, you. I watched that game. I watched actually more of that game than I have in, a, in, in, in recent weeks. There wasn't else, nothing else to watch. And you had to watch I it. I had plenty to We do all that. had to watch it. Um, but it did, like the blowout really happened late. The game was pretty close most of the, the time until like once a fourth quarter-ish. The Cowboys were down. Dalton throws a bad pick. And then they run it up. It looks like they ran it up a lot. Like it wasn't even close. But. They Most of the game, it was close. up a lot. Now, w- w- did, they, did they beat them? Did the, 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 the Washington football team beat the Cowboys? Absolutely. Did they beat y'all badly? I don't think it is as badly as the score would indicate. Oh, That's so the I'll score say. indicates badly. Score indicates real bad. Okay. Blowout bad. <laughs> I don't think it was that bad. And look, I'm not going to pretend. You know, I, I too am valuable. Your Bears? Yes. We're going to talk about that? We can talk about it. You know... Matt Nagy came out, you know, he had Mitchell Trubisky, and we've been saying this for so long, you know, is he going to finally run a different offense that uses Mitchell Trubisky's strengths? And he didn't even try. He doesn't want to. He's like, this proves my point true. Like, God damn. And this is what, Trubisky's third year? I want to say it's his fourth. Yeah, he's not getting re-signed by them. Yeah, because their they, they, option is next year, and they're not. They declined, didn't pick up the op, They declined yeah, it, right? I, I don't know. We haven't picked it up. I don't know if we expressly declined it, but I think we have. I don't see them picking it up. Yeah, it's not great. It's not great at all. All right. We have an exciting show for you all today. We have an insane story about a reverse stick up at a furniture store. An update for COVID and concussions. Our top NFL teams and coaches, and the fly route for what are the Clippers going to do at point guard? As well as a story about Beast Mode, a.k.a. Marshawn Lynch, that will guaranteed bring a smile to your face. 
Welcome to the tea off. Ooh, 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 spill that tea, sis. Spill that tea, sis. This is how we like to start our show off. We like to spill some tea on some of the crazy situations our favorite athletes get themselves into. Today, we have a pretty interesting story. Demarcus, you remember NFL running back Trent Richardson? Very well. He was a huge bust. Yeah, unanimous 2011 All-American. Over 2,000 yards and 24 touchdowns, won two national titles at Bama, was the third overall pick in the 2012 NFL Draft by none other than the Cleveland Browns, which at that point in time is how you could know someone was going to be a bust, and only lasted about four or so seasons in the league. Well, Trent Richardson is the Trent Richardson is the victim today in our tee-off story. So, Trent Richardson recently had a gun pulled out on him during a dispute at a furniture store in Birmingham, Alabama. He apparently ordered some furniture from this store, and he got it, and he said that almost all of the items arrived damaged or broken. He said the bed frame was cracked, the dresser was in shambles, so he shows up trying to either get his money back or get new items, etc., And things apparently go really south. All right. The name of the store is called Furniture Plug. And the owner, Clint Caitlin, getting into it with Trent Richardson and his wife, Mariah Caitlin, pulls out a gun on Trent Richardson. And there is surveillance footage of this incident. And I say surveillance footage like that is because the only footage we have is Gun already out. She waving it at his face. And he's with one of his mans. And they like basically booking it out the store. They're like, ah, right, yeah, this shit got a little bit too hot for us at the furniture plug. We ain't know y'all was just packing like that. <laughs> I mean, it, it's very clear. Apparently, Trent Richardson does not keep that thing on him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Look, and or, you can't leave it in the car. Or he kept it on him and she already had it out. <laughs> Listen, look, you didn't lost the quick draw. Yeah, it was, it was a wrap. And Clint talks to TMZ and he says, Trent's a big guy. He came in aggressive. He made her pull out the pistol. This is a family business. We were protecting our brand. This sounds anti-black. Oh, okay. Mariah then said, I felt Clint's life, my life, and our seven-year-old's life were threatened. Like, what was Trent Richardson going to do to your seven-year-old over this dresser? Super anti-black. Keep Yo. going. Like, this shit was insane. You're saying this is anti-black to Marcus. Okay. Because the the six-foot, whatever, 200-something pound black man came into your store upset and you assumed he was going to hurt you? Hey, so she, she kept that thing on her. I, yes, it is anti-black. That does not make what she did right. So you would assume the race of the furniture store owner people is... Oh, anybody could be anti-black. Let's not get this wrong. I'm just asking. You've heard this story. I assume they white, You're but I could be white. wrong. I'm probably wrong. I was curious as hell, which is why I had to get this TMZ footage because I automatically I actually they don't were know white anything too. about this. So tell me. Yeah, well, I, I I was like, this has to be some white people. Like you know, like the motherfuckers on the lawn during the protest that came out with exa- the blickies. That's exactly <laughs> what I'm imagining. That's exactly <laughs> what I'm imagining. He <laughs> came out with the blickies like they were being aggressive. <laughs> so I had to see, and the TMZ footage, the video is at first glance, Mariah Clinton seems black. Right. Hair seems black, seems light skinned, but black. And 
Although she seemed like she was trained in using that gun. She had both hands on that bitch, arm stretched, both hands on that bitch, arm stretched all the way out, practicing great form, responsible gun owner DeMarcus could tell us. <laughs> like she was ready. And I, I like, I, this bothered me so much. I had to do like a little bit more deep diving on these people and find out guaranteed they seem to be black. The, and they own multiple businesses in the Birmingham, Alabama area, and all of them are blackity, black, black, black. And nigga, I'm telling you, they she owns a club. Her husband owns a furniture store called the Hangout Bam. But the Bam has an H in it. It's B-H-A-M. The Hangout Bam. The club is unfortunately closed due to COVID. Right. Thank God. All right. They they've made some good decisions. But nigga. This they is blackity black. I'm telling you because their club uses the hood flyers. You know the hood flyers, the one you always find on your car. Oh, I know exactly. You know exactly I've been to Vegas what before. they look like. The and I was like, okay, this is really weird. And all of their patrons are black. Like you can see, like the Yelp photos. Like I did a deep dive. I was extremely interested in this story. And I'm like, so what happened here? I don't know. Literally, tell me. I'm literally waiting. No, on the I'm edge asking of you. What do you think happened here? Put yourself in this story. You you automatically had an idea of how this story went in your head when you assumed the people that owned the furniture store were white. If Am I wrong? N- you're not wrong. Okay. If I am assuming best intent, which I often don't do, uh, I don't see a reason to. They're black, the Clintons, whoever own who own these this this establishment are black. The Caitlins. They're Caitlins. Not, Caitlins. Sorry, not the Caitlins. Clintons. The Caitlins are black. The Caitlins have uh, well, number one, they sell shoddy furniture, so they're used to people coming in angry. Someone has come in angry in the past and actually tried to hurt them, and so this is their response. How wrong am I? Oh, look, we the story's still kind of vague, right? Trent Richardson is like, I'm going to file charges. The Surveillance footage of what we can see does not show a dispute happening before the gun gets pulled out like an angry dispute. It's just he's standing at the counter, arms come up with the blicky. He starts he, like he's like, all right, look, this ain't where I want to be no more. Get that Saquon deuces. <laughs> yeah. I'm out. Yeah. Boy Book got him like he was still in the NFL. Or that Tyreek like, <laughs> Might have hurt on the fucking chair on his way out. <laughs> I might need to see this tape now. Can I make a comeback? Uh-huh. Uh, apparently there's no interest. I looked it up as well. But <laughs> <laughs> you were deep then. You did your research. Look, this story honestly kind of got to me because there wasn't like a very clear resolution, and the only facts that we have are both sides. He's saying he was not aggressive, but he got broken shit, so he had to go down there and get it resolved. They're saying apparently he was so aggressive they feared the life of their seven-year-old child, right? And it's like I imagine this story's truth is probably somewhere in the middle. Was he probably angry or yelling? I certainly consider that a possibility. I bet if they was like, nah, your furniture was fine, or we're not responsible for that, I could tell you what I would say in that story. Oh, I, I know you are enough <laughs> to know what you would say, and they would probably call you aggressive and scary and pull that thing out on you too. Right? But I, I'm not Trent Richardson. I, I, I don't have the size of Trent Richardson. Apparently not. <laughs> but, like, this even though wild. you know what, man's not, even, not might not even be six feet. I want to say he's kind of short. Look, that's nuts. And it's you got to think 
this this like started making me think have you heard this story coming around dallas recently about this um restaurant oh yes i have yes yes i have yeah, the have some respect for yourself ain't no twerking on my tables i don't blame that that owner i i don't at all Look, I heard a lot of things about this story. I thought it was kind of funny. I I get it. I don't blame him, but he handled it the wrong way. You don't need to be yell. You don't need to be yelling and or giving obscenities to all your customers. Well, hold up real quick. Trent Richardson is five foot nine. When he played, he was five foot nine, two thirty. Oh, okay. So he he, he oh he's okay. smaller than me. Yeah, he's. Sm- Damn. Okay. Yeah. Uh, they probably would have pulled the blicky out on me too. Then they definitely would have pulled it out yeah. on me. Then. <laughs> oh shit. Yeah. Okay. Damn. <sighs> twerking on the furniture. <laughs> like, come. Like, See, I twerking's it. actually aggressive. Not whatever Trent Richardson was doing. Look, the homeboy didn't pull out the blicky. So, like, here we are. I, it just made me think a lot about this story, right? The one that just recently came up, and man, I get it. Times are hard, but also you can't be out here twerking on the furniture during the pandemic. That that was a big one for well, me. Well, first, the restaurant is open the, the, for this story, the True Kitchen story about Dallas. The DJ was playing some music. I think the DJ was actually playing WAP. I think that was the report. Ah. And this, uh, the, the ladies who in question uh, had actually been asked not to twerk several times. Nicely, nicely. And the part that has gone viral is the owner actually getting upset after they kept twerking after being asked to stop. But is playing WAP entrapment? No, no. You had brunch. I had to ask. You sip mimosas. You don't have to twerk. Hopefully, you're too drunk to twerk. That would not have been the first brunch I had went to with people twerking. Or the second. What? Now my question is, where was I for these brunches where people were twerking? Uh, Atlanta. I was in Atlanta. You were. Oh, in Atlanta. of course. Atlanta is always some 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 ratchet shit. Look, the the DJs at brunch in Atlanta be going hard as a motherfucker. They just got off work from the strip club, of course. <laughs> they ready for that action? <laughs> they be going hard as a motherfucker. And to be fair, the owner loved us turning up the fuck out his joint. So that's maybe that's because that's the kind of place that is. But I, I haven't been to this restaurant in Dallas. I might have to now. Even that I, makes you want to freak with the restaurant. The fact that there's no twerking allowed, Demarcus. There is decorum. <laughs> there is respectability, of course. Mm. But I, I don't think this is that kind of place. It sounds like that's not the vibe here. And he was like, yo, you're scaring the white folks. Y'all need to chill the fuck out. And they were like, nah, we good. And if I'm a business owner, I'm like, do I do I want you to be able to do what you want to do? Yes, but when it comes to ordering your food, not dancing. I've also heard reports that perhaps if the ladies had been injured while twerking in his restaurant, that like they slipped off some shit and they sued him, <laughs> that, he, that, that he could possibly have gotten sued. Look, I was at a chicken spot in Atlanta with some six foot four nigga do, twerking on a handstand because they had the DJ going hard at that motherfucker, and if he had fell and buzzed his shit. Yeah, he probably would have sued. You're right. Yeah, of course. And then that's some shit you got to deal with that's going to cost you money that you wouldn't even try to do. I, I get it. I just, he, he kind of went a little too far. But like at some point, these store owners are getting out of hand. 
what I'll say is I need somebody to spill the tea on who was twerking at True Kitchen so we can hunt them down in Dallas. We gotta go. Yo, talk did to they them. give us an interview? <laughs> I would love that. I would absolutely love that. I mean, that story has gone viral. There are memes about this story. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And anything for the podcast? <laughs> anything for the podcast? Market. Remember that, y'all. I need somebody to spill that tea. Okay, let's get into our COVID and concussion segment today. The NFL has been rocked all type of ways by COVID-19, especially this past week. Let's get to the first and foremost issue still at hand, the Baltimore Ravens versus Pittsburgh Steelers game. Yeah, and now my kind of gut feeling on this game is the league is not handling this at all well like yes the league has been wrecked but the league sat outside and wanted that smoke for like 12 weeks what did they expect (laughs) this is crazy the ravens have had over 18 players test positive as well as additional staff they had new positive tests today on tuesday as we are recording and still flew to pittsburgh today this is insanely stupid I wouldn't be surprised if based on, you know, the way that COVID spreads, it spreads in kind of bunches and groups. And if eight, you said 18 as of Tuesday have it, mm-hmm. I would not be surprised if the number end up close to 30 or maybe even 40 by next week. They are still flying to Pittsburgh today to play tomorrow at 2.40 p.m. And Central I don't even time. think, I know they have expanded rosters this year. I don't think it's enough to absorb 18 people. If those are They're even just, mostly some players. of them will come off of the list probably right before the game because they, I think they would have to about the it's about 18 over the course of like their first positive till now. Right. They've had 10 straight days of positive tests. So like the list has been growing and growing and the back end of the list is starting to come off. Right. But the There's more people going on the front end they went on still on. So people like Lamar Jackson, I would be shocked if I saw Lamar Jackson on the field. Mark Andrews got it, I want to say, mm-hmm. Friday, mm-hmm. Saturday. So, like, that's a person that I'd be shocked they got off the list. But, like, the very early wave of people, so maybe Mark Ingram style wave, the first wave of people they caught it, might start coming off of the list and being available for the game. I mean, we'll see. I don't know the, ex- I can't remember the exact number of the amount of people on an NFL roster this year, but in most cases, it's a 53 man roster and you, you have to have 46 active players on game day. Right now, I don't know how much more they added this season for COVID, but I can't imagine there's that much wiggle room for the Ravens with this number of positive tests. Assuming that people who you know had it a week ago are actually doing better and not just past their contagious phase, because they could not be contagious and still be suffering symptoms and play like shit. They might play like shit, but as long as that test comes back negative, you know the NFL is going to want them to be on the field. Unfortunately, yeah. And this is insane, especially after, you know, what we got to see this week. The Broncos play a game with functionally no quarterback. Yeah, we're going we're going to get to that. But the NFL is. I can't even think of a word that is strong enough, but they are woefully failing and inconsistent 
as far as what their approach is to this. So the fact that you would, in this case, move the Steelers-Ravens game, but not move the Broncos-Saints game, I believe it was. It even was. though, Literally, literally every quarterback for the Broncos was unavailable. I'm, I actually think I like the fact that the NFL didn't move the game. Well, I well coming from the place of it's their fault that they didn't wear a mask in the in the meeting room or whatever. It's it's even worse. So Tom Pelissero was on the Pat McAfee show today, and it wasn't the fact that they just didn't wear a mask and they all became close contacts for COVID. Right. right? It was the fact that they were dodgy and not forthcoming with information to the league when they started their contact tracing investigation for the positive test on Jeff Driscoll, which was like one of their backup quarterbacks. Evan. And the weird thing is, it's not that their entire quarterback room has tested positive with COVID is that their entire quarterback room now applies under the close contact mm-hmm. standards of the NFL because they sat in a room for 20 to 30 minutes with no masks on. And the NFL apparently got footage of them in this room like they were not forthcoming the way the nfl ended up finding out and putting them on the list is that they got footage of them not being in this room and you can understand why a team fearing not having any quarterbacks because they fucked up might not be forthcoming with the information that would render them having no quarterbacks but it's a five-day rule close context is a five-day rule if you have no positive test after the five days, you get to come back. There's a possibility if they were just up front at the immediate point of the contact tracing investigation, they could have possibly had a quarterback. Let's rewind for the game. Let's rewind. So you're telling me the NFL went NBA Daniel House on the Broncos quarterback. Indeed. Because because now my question is how they get the footage. I have no idea how they got the footage. That's everything you said was great, but I trust. Tom but I Pelissero. stopped listening after you said they got footage. Because my, I'm like, hold on, hold on. How do they get the footage? If there is footage, why didn't they get it before? You know, they were the quarterbacks were being dodgy. I imagine is there footage on every team? I imagine the facility? there's probably a lot of footage to go through for an entire facility oh yeah it's so huge i imagine if they're not being forthcoming you have to sift through a lot of shit to find the 30 minute period of time in which they're in this room with no mask on so it probably takes them way longer to have to find you breaking the rules through going through something like footage than it does for you to just come forth in the beginning wow and i would and i going back to week one back and i want to say like when we start this podcast, August, September, some somewhere in there before the season started. Yeah, right before the season started. We said, I do not trust every NFL player to follow these protocols for the entire season. A- and we're seeing it. And we're seeing possibly the worst outcomes for the NFL because of it. Oh, oh, definitively. Like, what's worse than having to postpone a game? Having to put on that disaster. Well, not just that it's postponed, but when you do play it, a lot of star players, a lot of good players will not be out there. The quality that they put on TV will be worse because of this. So I really felt like it was important because the Ravens and the Broncos situation are not analogous to me. The Ravens are having an outbreak. 
the Ravens have not dodged any COVID protocols. And that probably has something to do with how Harbaugh runs his ship. Mm-hmm. Right? They have an outbreak and they're getting new positives like every single day, basically, which pushes back the viability to play the game. The Broncos don't have any new positives. The Broncos had a positive and a bunch of close contacts because these other people just fucked up. Like we talked about it. The Ravens had a good portion of their whole of their roster just wiped. But to me, that means there's still something going wrong with the NFL protocol because it means that there are people who are silent spreaders in their facility on a frequent basis. Now, is it, of course, is it possible that, and I could be wrong, that there is kind of bad practices inside the facility that most people are not seeing, you know, not wearing masks. That is definitely being close to each other, et cetera. Because I can't imagine a case where everyone is following all the measures and you have this many cases on one team. That is true. I do think there are like also really weird things that have happened. Like, oh, I gave this guy a ride home from practice. We were in a car with no mask. Oops. No, th- that has literally happened on a team. That That's inexcusable. It's inexcusable because you and me both know we both drive. We've been living in this pandemic for, what, nine, almost nine months what now. seems like a lifetime. And I got like 20 masks in my car. I got masks for, I got like 15 for me and five backups for anybody that gets in my car. There's no way, there's no way this NFL player doesn't have an extra mask in the car for at least one of them to wear one. I, I, it's inexcusable at this point. Look, I will not defend it. I'm just reporting on the facts. And I, I hear you. And the facts are ridiculous. I That's am appalled. Fair. That's fair. They, they clearly can be doing a much better job on this front. And it's clear that the NFL has still said they will not give a specific standard for what will cause the season to pause. They've refused to. They've been asked multiple times, especially after what happened this weekend. And it seems like really what's going to happen now is any pause to the NFL season is going to have to be forced by like local and state governments. Well, we're, we're seeing a little bit of that. That's causing some hiccups, which we'll get to with the 49er situation. But I think the league has a bit of hubris, right? They think that their protocols work and that their protocols being in place means they'll be, I think, the only major sports league to make it through their season without some sort of pause for the pandemic. I think Why does they, that matter? I don't think it matters. I think to people who are running the NFL, particularly the 32 owners, that matters. Or I guess not 32, 31, and a bunch of people who own the Packers. <laughs> well, they're, they're like a, what is it? The Packers are like a nonprofit organization that's like owned by regular people. It's, it's crazy. We'll talk, that's a whole other different subject. They do but have shareholders. They have shareholders, et cetera. But um, I don't think, I think the owners do care about that. I think the owners care about keeping all that TV money. I think the owners are leery of not having the attendance money from games coming in. Some people do have fans in the stadium. Others, um, you know, don't have any. Yeah, some people do have fans in the stadium, Dallas Cowboys. Talk about that. What you got to say? Look, you hear y'all are still increasing capacity at the stadium week by week as things are getting worse and worse. So... Yes, you had and obviously 30, that's a bad decision. At the Steelers game. 
Yes, and obviously that's a bad decision. Daddy. But you know what's worse than Jerry Jones increasing capacity? What? It's the governor of Texas not stopping that from happening. It's the governor's fault that Jerry Jones has the freedom to do yes. terrible things. Yes. DeMarcus, we're in Texas. I know where we are. Okay, so you're going to be like, big government should come in, regulate, you know, strong, independent business owner, Jerry Jones. Like, fuck off. They're... Okay, first off, first, <laughs> Jerry Jones, and the numbers aren't official because they're privately owned, but the Cowboys have almost a billion dollars in revenue every year. They are the most well-off NFL team that there could ever be. They have a beautiful stadium that costs over a billion dollars. They have a beautiful practice facility out in Frisco that cost over a billion dollars. Their team is literally internationally known. It's relevant because Jerry Jones is not some poor man who needs people at his game to make sure he can make ends meet. Jerry is a billionaire who's cruising on a super yacht right now who does not need fans. So it's still so, the governor's fault? Listen, I'm saying we don't have to have big government be like, oh, regulate everything. But, you know, maybe, you know, you and your friends can get together for Thanksgiving, but the Cowboys can't have 30,000 people over Thanksgiving. How about that? Look, I'm just saying he got on his radio show. He talked his shit. He said, we lead the country in attendance. I'm not so sure that we don't lead the world. That's a big statement. He says everything's safe over there. That level of hubris is just, it's so foreign to me as, as, as who I as am. As a Cowboys fan, that level of hubris okay, for okay. no reason or justification is foreign to you? When it comes to this, you yes. You might have discovered why all of America <laughs> hates the Cowboys. All of obviously all of America does not hit the Cowboys. <laughs> obviously not. Because you're leading in attendance. There, yeah, apparently. <laughs> people love the Cowboys so much they will risk their life. Literally risk their life to go see them play in person. It helps that they play in Dallas. I no comment. Right, let's, let's move on. <laughs> all right. Speaking about stadium issues, let's talk about the 49ers. Yeah, so the 49ers. Well, as of this weekend, did not have a stadium to play their week 13 and 14 games in. The James R. Williams, the county council for Santa Clara, where the 49ers uh, play at Le Levi Stadium, announced that pro teams must suspend in-person activities within the county for the next three weeks. Well, the San Francisco 49ers have a couple of game home games in week 13 and 14 for the NFL over those two weeks against the Buffalo Bills and the Washington football team, which one of those games will be at least pretty good. So yeah, the Washington football team is out here just wrecking people, apparently. I, okay, whatever. <laughs> um, anywho, the 49ers had to figure out where they were going to play since the, the county they live in literally barred them from not just you know having fans at the game, but literally the 50 to 100 people who gather at the facility are not allowed to meet in their county. So they've come to an agreement with the Arizona Cardinals and the National Football League to play their games at State Farm Stadium in Arizona. Okay. Now, the Niners still haven't figured out where they're going to practice or stay at, but I think obviously it makes sense to stay somewhere in Arizona if you're going to be playing there for at least a couple weeks. Oh, are they going to do a team bubble, which was a completely I unfeasible until this moment? Uh, no, I don't unfeasible. think they're going to do that. They're just literally like, we're moving your game to Arizona. It's like a couple hours away. No, I meant like There's are the no Niners going to team bubble in Arizona. Oh, I don't know. I think they, I mean, I think all bubbles are good. All bubbles matter. 
<laughs> um, but the the key thing is now Arizona has said uh, on November 27th there was an update. Um, the Cardinals announced that their upcoming games would be closed to the public due to COVID-19. And the Arizona Department of Health Services has made this decision. So only family members will be allowed to attend the games in person. Now, this is important because it's going to also apply to the Niners at their State Farm Stadium games. They will also only have family members and no real fans. So thank Why you, Santa Clara, for being responsible. Family members exception. You know, I don't know. It's like I can't say it makes the general sense. public get COVID, but you can go ahead and bring your kid through. We'll let them see you catch a touchdown. I, I guess that's the logic. COVID. I guess that's the logic. I will say though, I'm not complaining too much because it make they're making a whole lot more sense. Both Santa Clara and Arizona, which I will add, before 2020, Arizona is also a very red state who doesn't like big government, and even their health department's like, mm, this this fans at games thing that's that's too much. We can't be doing that. All right. Do you predict the NFL is going to have a wildcat strike before the season is up? There's a lot of talk about it. Pro Football Focus said that they had sources inside the Ravens organization saying they were contemplating one. Short story is no. Okay. If I remember correctly, the NFL collective bargaining agreement is up in 2021. And the Players Association and the league have already been negotiating a new deal for months now. And I don't think... The league would look kindly on that, and if it happened, they would certainly punish the players in the next collective bargaining agreement. So you don't think the Ravens individually could be like, we're not playing this game. This sounds insane, Uh, especially given what just happened or what is currently happening. I would also add, I don't think the culture in much of football would make that kind of decision. As much as the NBA did when they had the protest down in the bubble, I don't think the, no, the NFL wasn't active at that time but i don't think the nfl would have stopped their games for the protest i'll stand by that i don't think they would have i don't think that a any team as a whole will be like we're not playing now maybe there'll be just like enough players on the team that they can't fill the roster or like key players do it and perhaps it happens but super low likelihood i don't see it happening okay and nfl has been very 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 strident in sticking to the schedule they have. Do you think that they are going to have to cave before the season ends? They will in the playoffs. Okay. I think there will come, especially with the expanded playoffs, there's now 14 teams overall who will be there, which is almost half the league, some of whom have already gotten in trouble for COVID violations. Many of whom. There could easily be two or three teams that have COVID outbreaks come January which makes sense. And in that case, the NFL would have to be like, pause. We, we pause in this whole weekend. Move all these games to next week. Because I think in that case, the league would, because it's not like you can be like, oh, you can play this, this, this wild card game on you know Sunday the, the 5th, and we're going to play the other wild card games on next Sunday the, the, the 12th. Like, why that's not? not. Why not? It would give certain teams a competitive advantage that mo- they would they would they would then have a problem with that because let's say based on seeding you can you know there's a bracket you know who you play next based on or who you should play next if your wild card game is a week before right so you know for example let's say you are the Bucks okay you're good 
But let's say the Packers have an outbreak. Right now, that's a scheduled wildcard matchup. Bucks, Packers. And the other games, uh, let me let me let me look at this little playoff play, playoff simulator I got. So let's say the other game is ooh, right now, Rams, Giants. <laughs> I don't want to watch that playoff game. I hope that does not happen. Uh well, really, I think whatever NFC East team in the playoffs might get blown out in Wildcard Weekend. But that's a whole other story. But let's say that. We have outbreaks on the Packers, who were scheduled to play the Bucks, and you have outbreak on the Rams, who are scheduled to play the Giants. Well, in the other game, the Seahawks-Cardinals, the Seahawks and Cardinals could play. The Seahawks could know that whoever wins the, um, you know, Tampa Bay or, or LA, they're going to play next and start scouting and watching tape and practicing. And have an extra week of practice compared to the other team. But they have to practice for two possible teams, not a guaranteed team, which they could have always been practicing for anyway. You're you're absolutely correct. They could do that. But even then, it just gives you more time for the players to rest. If those players have an extra week with no game, etc., that's a competitive advantage that I don't think the NFL, well, more importantly, Vegas would hate it. Well... That's kind of it's kind of like how the buy used to affect things, except for now it's kind of at random. Um, well, I would say the buy is is different because you know who's getting the buy, it you know when they're going to play you from doing for being something. good. Yeah, and I think in this case you could be rewarded for doing nothing or punished for doing nothing based on a, a COVID outbreak on your team come playoff time. I think they should allow for you know build in time in the playoffs. I said this about the regular season. I still think it's true. They should have added extra sets of bye weeks for every team. Because like right now, if they said, hold on, we're going to pause for a week. We're having lots of outbreaks. We're going to push every game and extend the season by an extra week. Everyone gets a bye. Everyone go home, isolate. We will test, keep testing every day. And hopefully- I don't trust them to isolate. If you give oh, them a week and that, are like, hey, you people who have been unable to follow the rules- not get caught at like nightclubs and other weird things and been out here possibly robbing people with your time off. Like here is a whole week of time <laughs> away from the team where we expect you to self-isolate and not love strippers or whatever else you do in your free time. Well, I mean, they're not even doing it. Like we talked about before, a good job at the facility. The NFL handed out two more sets of fines. So you want them to have no supervision? At some Talk point. Talk about the fines though. Uh, it's interesting. Well, okay, a few things. At some point, these are grown-ass men who know the rules. <laughs> They're literally getting paid to wear their mask and to not get COVID so they can be out there on the field. NFL contracts are not guaranteed. You get, play, you get paid by games you play. So I understand if you get COVID, it's an accident. You followed all the protocols. You're just kind of pissed. It happened, etc. But if you are a player who's reckless and out there at the strip club, no mask, sharing bottles of Henny with your homeboy... <laughs> then it's your fault you got COVID. Like, I know that we have a hard time wanting to put blame on people for, for this. But for example, I think it's Trump's fault he got COVID. He was out here, no mask, talking about hydrochloroquine or whatever, and got COVID. I, I, some people, it's tragic. Other people, you, you did it. You could have prevented it, or you could have done more to prevent it, and you didn't. Now, for these fines, these fines all stem from actions that happen either at games, after games, or at team facilities, which tells you a lot already. Even when everybody is there with all the rule compliance, they still, they still break the rules. So over the weekend, the New England Patriots got fined $350,000 stemming back to an October incident 
with Cam Newton where he was unmasked. And I think in that case, he actually ended up getting COVID and they had to postpone their game against the Chiefs. And we have a second time offender, the New Orleans Saints, who have been fined half a million dollars, 500000 and also lost a seventh round draft pick. And this is stemming from their week nine win over the Buccaneers, where they had maskless celebrations in the locker room. Yeah, that shit was lit. Did you see the videos? I did not see the video, they but it's like they won a championship. It looked like it basically looks like every time you see niggas win a championship in the locker but room, but they beat the Bucks. But in week without nine. the yeah, <laughs> exactly. But without the bottles, it was everything else, but without the bottles. So like they all jumping on each other, yelling in each other's faces with no masks on. It's disgusting. So I mean. Yes, they can't even follow the rules at facilities, but at least for the ones who do, you have a better chance that they'll come back healthy after you take a little break. And they should build in like two or three breaks between now and the Super Bowl for that to happen. That's That'd be the so smart scary. thing. If you can't trust them at the if you can't trust them at the facility, how are you gonna trust them on their own? Oh, you can't. Then well, then why give them the break? Again, just like doing the numbers, if we can trust most of them. 80% of them even. And the ones who are getting it incidentally because some people are being dumb have less t- more time to heal. For example, like for example, if you postponed all the games this past week, you would have gotten a better Saints Broncos game. It was a blowout. Would you have as a would commissioner you have lost a different game instead of losing the Saints Broncos game? Oh, like would there have been a different outbreak somewhere else that would have caused something worse to happen? Would it we don't know what's going to happen this week after Thanksgiving. For the, it helps that they all played on Thanksgiving instead of you like Thanksgiving weekend instead of giving them. But all the of time these off. schedule changes have ripple effects that you have to deal with. For example, the Ravens game has been pushed back steadily. Well, the Ravens play the Cowboys in Week 13, I believe, or whatever the next week after this week is. Well, that game's had to be pushed back twice now. And even when it happens, the Cowboys are going to have so much time off. They already had 10 Will days Will it matter? Off. Will it matter um, as far as the outcome of the game? No. Will it matter for player health and safety? Yes. Okay. Which is what the league says they're always concerned about. Obviously not. Because if they had postponed this week's games, they would have gotten at least, especially this, this uh, Ravens-Steelers game, a better product on the field next Sunday. Well, we'll see what happens with that. Wrapping up the NFL and moving into the NBA because the season's starting – Preseason starts on December 11th, so, you know, ramping up for camp, etc., and the season's coming on the 22nd of December. The NBA has put out their COVID guidelines, and this gives us a moment to preface a new segment that we will start doing here. I'm thinking about calling either COVID and crossovers or COVID and cherry picking. I don't know. I don't know. We want to know what you all think about that. Send us suggestions. Yeah, send us what you think. But the NBA has put out its COVID guideline. They released a 134-page document. And the first and foremost is there will be no bubble. Period. That's the first thing they outline. The second thing they outline is what teams have to do when they have positive tests and the guidelines for players coming back in when they have positive tests. And this is the most important thing to kind of garner here. Here's a quote. The occurrence of independent cases or smaller otherwise expected numbers of COVID-19 cases would not require a decision to suspend or cancel the 2020-2021 season. The document says it is designated to, and I quote, promote prevention and mitigation strategies 
to reduce exposure to and transmission of the coronavirus, but it is likely that players and staff will contract the virus. I think this is so much more problematic for the NBA because the NBA is a star-driven league. Could you imagine if LeBron and AD get COVID and the Lakers have to play for seven to 10 days without them? I think it's worse because of how compressed their game schedules are. Also true. Well, you could have, well, they, I think they got rid of back to Because we lose Lamar Jackson for, for a, a week. A game. But that's only a game. We lose LeBron It'll, for a week. It that might be, be five three games. games. Five three. games, et cetera, et cetera, mm-hmm. depending on how they want to space out the schedule. Exactly. And you could have clusters of superstars getting it. Imagine if Kristaps and Luka got it, or Bam and Jimmy Butler, or like those Kawhi games are now George. terrible. The few games that you have that are good every week, that are prime time, that are, you know, on ESPN at night, whatever, they're now terrible. Look, they're. And I don't think they are going to allow that to change how their standards work. They have requ- they are requiring that if someone tests positive, they have gone at least ten days since the date of their first positive test and the onset of any symptoms, and that they have gone at least twenty four hours without any fever, without having to use any medication. I don't know how. I don't know how they plan to determine that. And. They're also making sure that a person has to have two consecutive negative PCR tests at least 24 hours apart before coming back into the game. And when you're allowed to come back after those 10 days, you have to practice or isolated from everybody else in the facility and have a mask on at all times while you are practicing, which means that the minimum basically from these guidelines from first positive tests is 12 days. That's a lot of games. 12 days. I would be shocked if the NBA keeps up with this standard. And they want to they wanna end the season by, I believe it is July 22nd, so they don't have to go head-to-head with the Tokyo Olympics. I would be shocked. 12 days. Imagine losing Brown for 12 days. That's huge. Imagine if you... The West period with how closely contended they are all the time now, mm-hmm. like between from like, let's say four to eight, basically, really sometimes three to seven. Like it's really close. Also the nature of their games. I feel like like we saw what happened in the spring when Rudy Gobert contracted it and then multiple players on his team also got it. I mean, and I don't think Donovan Mitchell's gotten over that yet. And I hear they passed it up. You don't believe it. I think they, you know, have a business relationship. I don't think they're friends anymore. Okay. When they leave the facility, they go, they get in their separate cars, they don't call each other, they don't text, et cetera. But we saw that it spreads. And think about, you know, football, you got helmets, you're on a field, you're outside, et cetera. Basketball, I'm guarding you on a three-point shot. We, we like, two inches from each other's face. Constantly. Constantly. For 48 minutes. That's the thing about football. You're not really grouped up with anybody outside of your position group for a large period of time when you're on the field. And even then, you're outside, there's wind, there's better circulation, et cetera. Imagine being in... Some of these bad these bad arenas that are like low roof, you know, it's kind of it's kind of swampy. Imagine playing in San Antonio. It's like who and, you have, like you have guard someone for like twenty minutes a game, right? And, and you find out they have COVID. Well, guess what? You're in isolation for seven days or whatever too. Their close contacts rules have not been as clear so far, and I imagine they're going to update those as they go. 
They're requiring all teams, if someone tests positive, to report the test to local officials, contact trace all close contacts, clean and disinfect any space controlled by the team or the arena where the person who tested positive has been since their last negative test. And I think that is where they get the cameras. Absolutely have if, to have cameras. If, if they, if you have to sanitize every room in the arena that person has been in since they had their, since their like last negative test or since the last time they were negative, basically since they've been positive, how are you going to be able to do that? I don't without tracking the players. You have to literally have them wear like some kind of tracker at all times. Well, the NFL has players doing that. And well, we know some people get in trouble for not wearing theirs all the time. The Raiders. And the last part that's really interesting to me is they're allowing teams to set up isolation housing for the person with the positive test. The NFL, the NBA, I keep doing that. The NBA typically does not allow housing to be covered by the teams because it's seen as a way to circumvent the cap. It's like, hey, come to it's like come to LA, you know, here's the ten million dollar house. But they're allowing them to set up isolation housing, bypassing this rule, which means if you get a positive test, I think they're going to basically force isolate you in a nice place. So I assume I well, a nice place, it could just be a hotel room. I imagine it'd be a nice hotel room. But I think the the key thing is, I think the NBA said they reduced the schedule to 72 games. But even with the reduced schedule and trying to drag it out, even, you know, have a quick turnaround with this, I think they still might need to reduce it some more to like more like 60 games, which is what I think it's a good time to experiment and play with this. Because for many, many years, we talked about there are too many NBA games in every season that all the star players they do all the resting, the what do they call it? The load management, etc. If there are less games, you get the stars. It, it's just more caught. Every game matters more if there's 22 less games. I get that. The every game matters more mentality makes sense if you're a team that's on the cusp. The better you are, the less that means something to you. Uh, well, you will still inevitably rest people. Oh, absolutely. Like LeBron, <laughs> LeBron, I don't expect to see him very much in December or January. I mean, that was the rumor when the I think he dropped. said that basically. He's like, uh, I'm going to be doing load management. Uh, but it's interesting. So the NBA has kind of set the board for what they're going to do when it comes to the coping with COVID and trying to run the season. So far, it seems like they're pushing in the direction against the grain that they were with the bubble and compromising safety for the product and the product the way it used to exist. They are not banning people from having fans at the arena. It's going to become a team-by-team decision. Some teams have already decided that for the first half of the season and the first portion of the season, they won't do fans, but it's going to be case-by-case, just like the NFL. The NBA was trailblazing before, but it seems like they're seeing everybody else get away with it. So why not them too? Well, that and I think the NBA needs to be calling Pfizer or Moderna right now and be like, yo, can we get like 1,200 of them vaccines real quick? Because that is the the kind of saving grace that the NBA season is going to start after. I think after we already have vaccines out in the public for first frontline people. And so I think the NBA has to, and I think a lot of teams that they're smart, 
will be trying to set up vaccine programs for their, their teams or the league when those become available. All right, let's get into the top coaches in the league, DeMarcus. In the NFL, I want to know, who are your top five coaches? Number one is real easy. I think we're going to agree on this. The GOAT himself. Bill Belichick up in New England, who's got six rings as a head coach and even more from his D coordinator days. I don't think he even counts those. He, he probably don't even know where those at anymore. He got so <laughs> many. So that's number one. Number two, I think should be the clear choice. The reigning champions are coached by Andy Reid. He has been a phenomenal coach in this league for a very long time. He players seem to love him. He has had prolonged success at different stops with different quarterbacks. He gives players second chances when they have done bad things um, or have had kind of spotty things happen either on or off the field. It's Andy Reid. And then number three, which is where I think we'll start to have some disagreement, is Mike Tomlin, who is actually undercredited for his work. Just to mention with A.B., because we had no, no idea AB was this bad. And he somehow covered it up for, for many, many years. Has that team. I don't think Tomlin's ever had a losing season. I think the worst they've ever done is 8-8. Eight and eight. Last year, yep. Last they've season. been in the playoffs almost every year. Maybe miss a year here and there and then come back the next year, go to the championship game. Except for that one time he tried to tackle somebody on Thanksgiving on the kickoff. I think he's great. Who's your top three? All right. My top three, we are actually pretty similar. One, Bill Belichick, undeniable. You can't really argue that one at this point. No. Now, however, we are also the same at number three, Mike Tomlin. I love it for the same exact reasons. The amazing defensive mind, Le'Veon Bell has still not looked the same since he left there. Nope. Right? He somehow, even though he is a defensive coach, there is always a star wide receiver popping up on Claypool. There. You have obviously Juju Antonio Brown, before. Juju. Mm-hmm. They've had others before that. They had Mike Wallace. They had there's, there was always some receiver who could ball on the Steelers at all times. At least one, if not two or three. Going back even to Heinz Ward, who was playing with all kind of people around him as well. It, it's insane how consistent this team is. Oh, for for about a decade plus. It's and most importantly. It's clear that they had a lockbox of a locker room. Like, it wasn't just the fact that he could handle A.B. It's that A.B. was a secret. That's the crazy part. It wasn't that he could handle it. A lot of people can handle difficult people in the locker room, right? You're just going to hear about it on Twitter. Exactly. But they play. There's no immense drama that overtakes the team. But it was a secret. Okay. Like, we heard Cowboys leaking shit just because we y'all were losing terribly Oh yeah. season. Well, the Cowboys are the exact opposite of the Steelers. They are a walking soap opera. <laughs> and I think they actually like that. I think the owner of the team likes that. It's interesting. Because for, for him, it means you're always talking about his team. You always got their name in your mouth. And for him, that means money. All right. But number two is where we differ. I do yeah, not that's have Andy Reid in my number two. I have John Harbaugh in my number two. I can see that. I have a soft spot for the coaches that can do it all, i.e. win that chip without the all-world talent QB. He did it with Joe Flacco. 
He did it with Joe Flacco. They had a hell of a run. He did it with Joe Flacco. I, I understand how bad Joe Flacco is. Oh, I, and I he just should never have gotten clear. paid. He only got paid because they won that ring in twenty. Was that twenty twelve? Uh, Ray Lewis last year. But even that, they had they had a really fluky AFC Championship game against the Broncos, where some safety who did will not win? be named. They did win, but they should not have, and they shouldn't win Super Bowl either did because Cap win? Cap should have a ring. Did they win? They did not. But I, I will make <laughs> the argument. They, they went on one run. It was kind of fluky. They did it with Joe Flacco. And Doing Cap, it with Joe Flacco is a plus to Cap me should have his, a ring. His brother his should have coaching. gotten a ring with Joe. The other Harbaugh should have gotten a ring with, with Cap. He did not. And I think the fact that you feel like that team was fluky and shouldn't have been able to do it and they did it anyway is a testament to coaching. I mean, but there are teams that, for example, Andy Reid has coached who should have won it. But they didn't. Who Either way, they lost. And they lost. I think Andy Reid and Philly lost at some point three straight NFC Championship games. Lost the Super Bowl. Hey, look. And then even with the Chiefs, lost the championship game in 17 to Tom Brady. I, I'm with you. I'm with you. But that Andy is Reed's a testament great. to me that he has team. He always has his team in a position to win. And sometimes also, they don't. The Ravens are consistently good. As besides those last two years before the last two years of Fleck, Flacco. But it's hard to be that good with a quarterback that costs that much money that plays that poorly. Right, but they still weren't even terrible because that defense so is good. But what what really sticks out to me about Harbaugh is the fact that while a lot of people on our list will be great, not many of them are flexible. Harbaugh is the most flexible of all of these coaches. The Patriot way is always the Patriot way. The Patriots offense always looked the same. The defensive schemes changed and fit the pieces, but Belichick was inputting people into his system you come in here and if you do this because i'm fucking bill belichick and i know that this is the right thing to do you will be successful and thus we will be successful it's the do your job boncher right i hear you harbaugh is flexible what the ravens looked like being fantastic with flacco and what they look like now being very good with Lamar, those offenses look nothing like. He is willing to change the people under him, change the people around him to fit his talent. And that style of flexibility is something that I think deserves a lot of credit. I'm, I'm willing to listen to that argument. Who are your number four and five NFL coaches? All right. My number four is Andy Reid. Andy Reid, he, he gets to the top of the mountain He's had a storied, great career as a coach. I don't feel like it hurts to feel like you should take away from some saying he got to the top of the mountain, but Patrick Mahomes is Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> but it, it really it, it helps that Patrick that's, Mahomes is Patrick Mahomes. That's right? Patrick Mahomes. Right? That's my homeboy. That he it, look, he is not just a generational talent, like a once in a lifetime. No, you can't see people who throw like this. On a reg- like I watched the game. Like I'm I'm sitting at home this Sunday. Watch the uh the Titans game, Titans Colts. Like good game. It was over real early. Other game on was the Bengals Giants. I was like, I have it was a close game actually, but I have no interest in that. It's just boring. <laughs> All the star players have been taken from that game. And then I'm sitting, I'm supposed to be doing work on this Sunday, and I'm like, oh, the the Chiefs play? Oh, they play they play the Bucks? 
you know what? My work gonna have to wait. I th- I gotta go see Patrick Mahomes play. Yeah, I remember like, you calling that game wrong. Listen, I said I called it wrong when we recorded the podcast last week. You were also wrong about the upset of the week. Past State Cardinals. Oh, I. Yeah, you took a lot of L's last week, but that's besides the point. Oh, sorry so for So the Pets Cardinals thing, uh, <laughs> yeah, you got me, but I'll say it was super close. They they won on what a walk-off field goal. So I was about two seconds or about three yards from being right, depending on how that ball went. So I, I'll take it. I'll take it. But going back to kind of our, our coaches' hierarchy, I, I think when looking at the scheme of things, I just think Andy Reid – I'll say has not gotten enough credit for what he does on a consistent basis, including finding great offensive coordinators consistently who are able to make sure his team is always there. Cause even when he had, for example, Alex Smith, they looked good. A lot of people actually looked good with Alex Smith. That's the, that's the thing. Alex Smith has always been good. Never great. But that was the best he ever played. Cause remember he, Alex Smith was the number one overall pick, went to the 49ers, didn't look so hot. He was fine, but then, you know, Cap. Cap, he had started to play well before Cap happened. Just like he had started to play well before Patrick, Patrick Mahomes, Mahomes happened. happened. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if I'm losing my job, though, if it's going to be Cap and Patrick Mahomes, I think I might be okay with that. Which is what I'm saying. He's always been very good, just never great. But I'll say he looked the best. Good, but not great. But he looked the best under Andy Reid. I think that has a lot to do with Andy Reid. I think, look about how, what he did to Mike Vick's career. Not just Vic was already an all-world talent. He just needed all, someone to be like. So yes, he needed structure, but he made Vic a better thrower of the football. Vic will tell you he did not buy in to the game before he met Andy Reid. He did not watch film. He was not a very fundamental thrower of the football. And after he got to Philadelphia, Andy Reid convinced him to buy in. And I think that ability of a coach to get a team to really buy in is the thing that. I think Harbaugh does and has done before, but Andy has done longer. Sure. Well, no, I think he's gotten more teams over the course of his career to buy in and overachieve. Ravens are frequently a buy-in team. I think buy-in, but I won't say overachieve. It, it depends. I think the way that we talked about Lamar Jackson coming out of the draft, when he first got started, when he lost that first playoff game, when he lost that second playoff game, they have consistently been overachieving, and we just consistently move the goalposts after they achieve. Well, I would even say, I think, based on the talent on this team, especially last year. They have no wide receivers. They have the last no two receivers. Years. They are somewhat one-dimensional on offense. They're going to run. They're going to run it with Lamar. They're going to run it with somebody else, et cetera, et cetera. That's the thing. Way less talent than the Chiefs. But I think some of what the Chiefs have done is found talent. Like, I didn't know who Travis Kelsey was before. Do you think that's a, something we should give to the coach always or something that's kind of GM dependent? You know what? I Because Belichick gets to be both. So for Belichick, him, obviously, it's like number yeah, one. Yeah, right. He gets to be both. He gets to both shop for the ingredients and cook the meal. So well, really quickly, I want to know who is your fifth ranked head coach? My fifth is Pete Carroll. Okay. So there's not too much disagreement. It sounds like we have moved things around a little bit, but I have Harbaugh just outside of my top five. I have Sean Payton as my number four with the Saints. And then I have Pete Carroll at number five. So for Sean Payton, number one, I think 
going all the way back to when he first got to New Orleans, he has transformed that team. That team is all about Sean Payton and Drew Brees and the relationship they have together. The offense is all about what Sean Payton does. He, as at lots of points, has taken risky decisions, including a onside kick to start the second half of the Super Bowl. He had the Saints literally one play away from the Super Bowl multiple years in a row. And arguably, they should have gone at least one of those years, if not both. And I think Sean Payton is is a fantastic coach and definitely top five coach in this league. One of those years, poor coaching is the reason why they didn't go because that corner. We're not going to talk about that. We're not you gonna, should we're when not. we're talking about coaches because that corner was should have been instructed to play off of That's the, the receiver. That's the coordinator. Who, is, who uh, hires him? And we, we getting lost in the minutia. The, the minutia. In the small the- detail. Okay. <laughs> All right, the big picture. The big picture. I'm just saying, like we we can't be like, oh, he was so close, great coach. Even though, like, one of the reasons why he was so close but failed is the coaching thing. Okay, so a lot of the coaches on both of our lists are very old. I think Pete Carroll is the oldest coach in the league. He's over 70. Belichick's up there in his late 60s. Andy Reid is up there. I think Tomlin's still pretty young. He got the job very young. And Sean Payton is like 50 something. I want to say. Who is your next, who, who, out of the people on that we talked about today, who is your kind of next five years? Who looks good? Who moves Shanahan. up this list? Kyle Shanahan. I think you're asleep on Kyle Shanahan. All he's done is ball. Like, think about it. He is, if he has a competent roster on the field, he's won. He has never taken a competent roster and not won. So he's far. made teams, I think, in, in a lot of cases, overachieve. I think oh, 100%. That like Falcons team. That wins the Super Bowl? Yo. My goodness. Exactly. My goodness. And as soon as he left, as the offensive coordinator, they regressed back to being the Falcons. With almost the exact same roster the next year. Exactly. Like, Matt Ryan has never gotten there again. Everybody's pretty sure that Jimmy Garoppolo might not be that guy anymore, but he went to a Super Bowl being healthy. He did. And it wasn't until he got there that we were like, oh, he has some limitations. But that's because we didn't get to see much of him before he got there. we did not. He he had a big contract shortly after leaving the Patriots, and people were like, "Well, that's a lot so of money. smart in hindsight." Oh, the way, and not just the money, but the way they structured it. Mm-hmm. So because smart they can in they can break up with Jimmy this year and have no dead cap, I believe. I think this guy, even though right now the Super Bowl is haunting him, I getting up and blowing the lead. The fact that he's getting there so consistently, and he is putting together a team that is consistently competitive. This team is what right now, five and six or something like that with their starting two running backs have been injured most of the season. Their quarterback has been injured most of the season. Like also their wide receiving core has been injured a lot this season and they lost a piece to New Orleans this year with uh, Sanders. Right. So and yet they're still five and six. They're doing great. And we see a team that might run into half the challenges they're running into, such as the Cowboys. Collapse. No, they're doing um, pretty well right now, I would say. They beat the Rams last week. I, you know, and if I were to kind of throw in one more name for like next five years, who I think will be really good, I am down. I am more down on Sean McVay than most people, but I think he is a good coach. I think over the next five years, the Rams will be around the playoff kind of territory every single year. Some years they'll miss it. Most years they'll make it. And a couple of different, at least one more time, I think they'll make a run for it. All right. A little bonus here. I want you to give me, you know, your worst coach that's not Adam Gase. Because earlier 
in the podcast and some of our past episodes, we talked about this. Another point in time in which I was right, you know, when you said Adam Gase would be fired before Matt Patricia. Okay. You remember Adam that? Gase should have been fired before yeah. Matt Patricia. Uh, look, I just remember you being like, this is ridiculous. Adam Gase is so much worse. He will obviously be fired first. And I'm like, dude, Matt Patricia is really bad because he had a good team and then ruined it. Adam Gase took over a terrible team and it's still terrible. Like, Adam Gase did not do his job well. Matt Patricia did his job atrociously. But either way, I think both all of them will be up without a job at the end of the season, or they very well, like 90% chance should be. But right now, my worst coach is the coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars, Doug Marone. And it's both for what he has done this year, but also just in general with his coaching career. Um, I will add... I don't think a black coach with the coaching record that he has would get to stay on. I think he'd be gone already. Oh, 100%. So he's coached, I think, five full seasons as an NFL coach. I'll give it to you, his records. So 2013 with the Bills, coached all 16 games, went 6-10. and 10. 2014 with the Bills, all 16 games, 9-7. and seven. Uh, 2016, he's interim for Jacksonville for two games, goes 1-1. One and one. Next year they go ten and six, get to the AFC Championship game, and then every year with Blake Bortles. Ever, since then he's gone five and eleven, six and ten, and thus far this season one and ten. Okay, I'm with you. Doug Marone is terrible. Like I'm with you. He's bad. The GM got fired, and this dude's still talking about getting a win. And I'm like, dude, you, you be like to keep your job. I look. That's the thing. The fact that the GM has been fired is the reason why Doug Marone does not deserve as much blame as you're giving him for the last two seasons, at least. Right? He They went out for Nick Foles. Nick Foles got hurt. They ended up playing Gardner Minshew. Right? He's been working. Blake Bortles, Gardner Minshew, and Nick Foles have been the best quarterbacks for Jacksonville in how long? Almost a decade? Oh, since, yeah, since the middle of the, the 2000s when they had um, Gerard. Oh, so here's where I'm at. He's not working with much to go with. And while great coaches will make a team exceed their talent level, I think the worst coach in the league left right now for me is Mike McCarthy. Because it's not that you're not exceeding your talent level, it's that you are grossly and I mean grossly underperforming it. And I get it. That got hurt. But a lot of teams are dealing with quarterback issues this year. Washington is on their third quarterback. No, we have, we're, we're supposed to have one of the best backups, if not the best backup in the entire NFL. Mm-hmm. We have serviceable weapons at wide right receiver, mm-hmm. a good running back, uh. a solid O-line right now. They've been real hurt this year. Uh, the defense is not fantastic, but there is some talent there. You got some talented linebackers. You got a couple talented D linemen. Secondary is meh, but enough to I think to should be it even without Dak be able to limp to nine and seven. Hell, at least eight and eight give you the Jason, Jason Garrett, Garrett special. Yeah, the, the, the Jay Garrett special. <laughs> yeah, like at least. And that's so it for me. You just have too I, much talent to be this bad. I I I hear you. I don't have an argument really against it. I would just say it's really early. We haven't had a full season year. yet. That's I, all I'll say. I will say. And he came on during COVID. Like, he got the job, COVID happened, and then everything got, like, threw up in the air. I will say he's made some bad decisions on the field 
where he and 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 oh my god that Washington game he came back well even not even just that there's been several times where I'm like what it, this looks like part of it like what Jason Garrett did and then at other times he's really aggressive when he shouldn't be like that 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 fake punt on your own like twenty something yard line <laughs> and it was, I was oh like. I get being aggressive, but what are you doing? Your team and was the in the game. The call was bad, too. Your your team is in that game. You had a bad possessional offense. You punt the ball, and you hope that your defense holds them to no points or a field goal, which is reasonable at that point if they have to go 70 yards. But it, it, you got to know on 4th and 11, if you go, I think it's 4th and 11, you go for a fake punt. I get being aggressive. You're aggressive, though, when... You were down three and you're at the 50, not when you're down like 10 at your 30. Don't have an argument against you. I think based on just longer track record and a bigger kind of pile of experience, even with less talent, Doug Marone's clearly worse. Arguably, if Doug Marone is a black man, he don't make it past last year. But we also then, if you want to go back to past seasons, watch Mike McCarthy squander Aaron Rodgers' prime. If we're talking about not maximizing talent, I think that outweighs all the Doug Marone stuff because you had Aaron Rodgers. Matt LaFleur popped in one year later. Instant fire team. and Wait, well, NFC Championship game, right? Um, Well, yeah. I will say, do I think McCarthy underachieved in Green Bay overall? Yes. Do I? But I think part of that is just Aaron in particular and the team got tired of that voice and sometimes they're even with good coaches, you sometimes they just don't of that get that voice because it's bad. Because so, you're trying to buy into something that's failing. That's what makes you get tired of the well, voice. Well, in Aaron's mind, Aaron is a better offensive mind than Mike McCarthy. Uh, he probably is. And so if you, if, and I think a lot of us have had this experience in the working world, you go to work, you have a boss, supervisor, coworker who does lots of things, who you are definitive that you are smarter, better, whatever then. Well, after so long, that's going to kind of rub you the wrong way of watching them make mistakes in your mind. They may not see it that way. They're like, oh, I just had a bad day. But Aaron is like, nah, you fool. <laughs> you should have been run- calling these routes <laughs> for the receivers. Um, so there's an argument there. But even then, I would say McCarthy is a much better coach than Doug Marone in, in, in the whole. I mean, McCarthy at least had that team in the playoffs every year. They made some championship games they shouldn't have been in. They did blow the one at Seattle in 2014, which was a really odd game to watch. Ooh, and that one was a bad one, too. That's an odd game to watch. But, I mean, when it came time to beat the Cowboys, McCarthy was always up for that. He, <laughs> that was his job. I mean, yeah. In the Cowboys season, some, multiple years in the past five years. That might just say something about why Jerry picked him and maybe not why he was the best choice. Yeah, we'll see. I think he has at least one more year, but not real sure. Let's 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 move on from this. Okay. Let, let's talk about your your current top five NFL teams. Okay, my top five NFL teams right now, and I feel like this list is becoming more and more solid to me. And well, after Thanksgiving, two, you always you you know you know you know right. This this is becoming more and more solid to me, and more importantly, the top two. Far and away, easy to decide are the Chiefs and the Steelers. Some people might say Steelers Chiefs because you don't want to knock the Steelers down from one until they lose a game, especially having gone this far into the season without losing a game. I respect it. But right now, still got the Chiefs. That offense is just too dynamic. That first quarter against the Bucks, Jesus Christ. Oh, 
Ooh. Oh my God. Oh, Tyree Kill is the best. He might he has a strong case to be the best receiver in football. I know we had this argument earlier between uh, really Devontae Adams and um blanking on the name. Oh, um Devontae Adams and Stefan not Stefan Diggs. Wasn't Diggs, uh, wasn't Matt Hopkins. Cass. Hopkins. Hopkins. D Hop. Yeah. And I'm like Tyreek should be higher in there. I don't know. I know we had him in our. I know I had him in my top five. I had him at six. Mm-hmm. Um, I had him in my top five. I think I might have had him at three or four. I want to say. I want to say you had him at five. He was definitely in there. Four or but five. He, 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 five. He's moved up. Yeah. Oh, for sure. He he's overtaking Metcalf at least for me. Oh, my probably goodness. he's probably at three now. And it wasn't like, especially the second touchdown where he like flipped into the end zone. <laughs> that, that was, was like, so rude. That was that was. It was like, first off, I mean, talk about defense. The Bucks had that poor, I don't know that man's name. They had him out no there. No safety help. All by himself on the fastest man in the league. Yeah, that's just bad coaching. Like, what are you doing? That's just bad defense coaching. Because I've seen coaching. people get, I've seen Megatron beat four people. I've seen Randy Moss beat two, three people. I've seen. We watched D-Hop beat three people. D-Hop beat three people. I've seen AJ uh, Green. Yeah. What's his name? Yeah. He, he, he disappeared on us. I've seen him do that. <laughs> Before he got hurt and then came back and didn't pop. Um, but I've seen lots of receivers beat double, triple, quadruple coverage. I mean, Megatron made that his job. Like, I remember one Sunday back in 13, he had like 300 yards against the Cowboys and they had like four people on him at all times. Yeah, you just gotta give safety help for Tyreek Hill. And Tyreek is he's small, like, when you see him, he's small, but he's strong, like, you don't realize how strong he is. And the point at which his speed makes the biggest difference is at the end, before he gets to the end zone. He has a little burst where he pulls away even from fast people. Um, was watching Tyreek this summer on YouTube. He put out a video. He was racing Terrell Owens. Uh, I remember this. Um, and, and first off, T.O. at like 46, he could still move. And he gave him a head start. He still, uh, they did, I think they ran twice. Once with a head start, once uh, straight up. And first off, T.O. still probably runs like a full five, which is like, <laughs> damn. And probably one of the few receivers who could beat him, clearly, like that, was Tyreek. And he was hanging with Tyreek for the first, like, 40 yards of their, their race. I think they, they ran a, a longer race. And Tyreek, just at the end, the speed just, just overtook him. It was just like, it's, he's too fast. All right. So, I, Chiefs, Steelers at one and two. For me, the third team, and this might be a surprise for some people, but I've been high on this team all year, the Seattle Seahawks. Think they're a great team. Their defense is getting so much better. Well, they made one move that made them instantly better. They made they made the Carlos Dunlap move. Is that the one you're talking about? Yes, they lead. They lead the league in pressures and sacks since that happened. I want to say he has three and a half sacks since he got there. But more importantly, they made another move because they knew they needed to do this offseason was Jamal Adams. And while he started the season, he was gone for like a good five six game block in the middle of the season while their defense was getting torched. Mm-hmm. And Jamal Adams was a monster last week. So I think that the weakest part of this team is their defense, but their defense is getting a lot better, a lot faster. The energy from those two guys is rubbing up on rubbing off on the other players, and they're starting to play as a more aggressive unit. And I like that because I imagine this will let Russ peel back from the hero ball a little bit and reduce his mistakes. And let Russ start cooking the way he was once before. Also, they finally, finally got Chris Carson back. 
It looks like he's finally healthy. Even though I was loving being able to like slot play Carlos Hyde in all my leagues and get an easy 17 points and keep crushing people, it's... By the way, have you won any more fantasy games this year? Damn, let's just leave it alone. It's okay. Uh, my number four team is the Tennessee Titans. <laughs> I think they're a little low on the Titans. Oh, oh, okay. I have them at my number three spot. Okay. I, I've been saying this for, I want to say months now. Nobody and no team want to tackle Derrick Henry. And now last week, I was definitely right on this. That is true. I, he had, what, three touchdowns in the first half? In this Colts game this this past Sunday, like he had ridiculous numbers he in the first half. He still did put up. Oh, he did. He still put up monster numbers. Yes, indeed. Because uh, yes, they did. played the Colts like two weeks in a row or something weird like that. Oh it yeah, was, my quarterback put up seven points. It didn't matter. The Titans, just their style of play is they want to hit you in the mouth and do it again and again and again and dare you to stop them every time. And they know who they are, which for an NFL team is so important to have an identity and stick to it. Tannehill has looked very good in spurts when he needs to throw the ball this season, has made critical throws late in games. They've had some close losses, but um, I think overall this team is headed in the right direction. I'm not sure if they can win the Super Bowl, but I think their they're just conference is stacked, and that's why they won't. But if the Titans are even in the in the NFC, ooh, I think they go further than they do right now. Because I think like if you got to play the Packers or the Rams or any of these teams out in the uh, NFC, they are definitely the not as physical. Can't handle them, yeah. Oh, oh, the Packers are gonna. We saw, we've seen this already. The Packers would get demolished, and that is why my fifth team is Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay Bucks. I feel like the growing pains are still there, but this is a team that. When you see the highs and they are, they make you less concerned about the lows. We watched them give an abysmal first quarter performance, even first half performance against the Chiefs, but that game was really close. That game ended, ended close. up being close. Yes. Yeah, the game 27 24? Something like that. Or I thought it was 24 17 or something like that. Something very close. The game ended up being very close. It was a one score game and just like the. Bucks didn't get the ball back at the end. But if the Bucks get the ball back at the end, it's Tom Brady doing Tom Brady things. He's broken too many hearts with the comeback from behind win. And I feel like this is a Tampa Bay team that was hot and cold for whole games before. And they're starting to show some bounce back, some rebound. And my honorable mention is the Green Bay Packers. And the reason why I have them below the Tampa Bay Bucks is because the Packers, when they get hit in the mouth like that, I don't think they have the rebound. I feel like if the Packers get that type of first quarter against the Chiefs, they collapse. They collapse. They can't fight back. They can't fight back into a game that's out of hand. But when they are ahead and they have their foot on their neck of a team, they are, they just, they look unstoppable when they are really not it's a mental thing um yeah as a team um but okay so we're a little bit different number one i'll say i'm surprised neither of us has new orleans in our top five um, i told you i don't believe in them all year um i call them pretenders i i like them but the injury and kind of what they look like lately has kind of scared me 
Um, right now, I have my number four team is the Packers. Um, I'm, and then I have the Seahawks. Um, and those two are there, very close. I, you could easily change the order of them for four and five. But I just believe in those quarterbacks. Like I believe in Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson. And when it comes down to it, even when their teams are playing more difficult opponents, in more cases than not, they will come through. And I guess just right now, I am just not sold on Tom Brady. Uh, Tom Brady has the most air yards in the league. Uh, they're on by this week, but even with the most air yards and I think the most deep attempts, uh, he is far behind or is going to end up far behind Patrick Mahomes in the total yards. Saying um, that you're second in the league does not, it's not a uh, indict to me. So second, but he's played one more game. Patrick sure. Mahomes has already had his bye week. Being second to Patrick Mahomes, I'm saying should not be an indict. But I think the most important thing is his, he has not, he's has, I think one of the lowest deep completion percentages in the league. And he's thrown a ton of interceptions, a ton. He is second to only Carson Wentz, and that should be a bad thing. Yes. <laughs> I buried the lead a little bit there. I buried the lead, but I got to the important part. I, I'm just not sure in a pressure, pressure situation that Tom Brady is going to make that right decision anymore. And I won't even say it's all his arm. I think part of it's mental at this point because he's thrown like some pick sixes this season that have not looked good. I do feel like this is a team that needs to pare down the offense a bit. Uh I feel like when they get into the intermediate, short, quick pass. Well, that's where Tom cooks. That's where Tom cooks. And I feel like they are a team that's taking the shots deep to open up the things in the short and intermediary. And I think what they need to do is flip the script. And I imagine that they will, because this is a team that keeps constantly tweaking and changing, where they'll establish the run and the short and intermediary first to open things up deep for Tom and get some easier shots down the field, even though we know that's not really how Bruce Arian likes to play it. Well, that's climb down on them and while they're right outside of my top five, I think I have them at six right now. The the Bucks have a good running back in Ronald Ronald Jones, is that his name? Yeah, Ronald Jones, and they have Leonard Fournette behind him. Who oh, and Leonard Fournette? I don't. It's looking like the Jaguars were not wrong about that. They were not. Uh, but Jones, Jones is pretty good. Has had some good performances. They need to run him earlier. Bruce Arians has got to change his play calling style and kind of tempo, and kind of let Tom do his thing. Tom has been around for twenty plus years. He knows what he likes. Let him. Let him just do it. Bruce says he does not call the plays, and all of that happens That's between cool. Tom and the OC. But uh, one more kind of honorable mention before we move on from this, the Buffalo Bills, um, who I think are a really, really good football team, who are definitely a top 10 team outside of my top five, maybe have them at maybe seven, eight, but they're going to win the AFC East. I think that's almost certain at this point. Yeah. And they think they have, there are some juggernauts in the, in the AFC, but if they can avoid them, they could find themselves in a championship game, possibly. To get slaughtered by the Chiefs? Or the Steelers, possibly. I'm not okay. counting out the Steelers, but yeah. So I think we're pretty much on the same page about who those teams are. I think we would they have to go through one of them to get to the championship one of them. game. Yes. And I think right now, well, right now I don't know who will get the buy. Um, okay. That really, cause it looks like it's going to be the Steelers. It, the mm-hmm. Chiefs have only, uh, the, the Steelers lose one game. It's, it goes to tiebreakers. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure who the wins the schedule so far. Um, so I'm not sure who'll get the buy, but I, Ooh, I feel like, Oh, I feel like I want the two the two buys back or the two teams get a buy because I'm like neither the Steelers nor the Chiefs should have to play a wild card game 
and possibly lose. Look, if you lose, you lose. Oh, my gosh. That's it. If you lose, you lose. But you should beat that team. Anyways, I think every team we talked about is almost a lot for the playoffs. If any of them missed it, I would be surprised. So we'll see. We're past Thanksgiving. This is time where you know who the pretenders are and the contenders are. I think everybody on our list is a clear contender with the top three having a really good chance to win the Super Bowl. Let's get into the fly route for today. We know the Clippers cannot be done making moves. They today signed Reggie Jackson to a one-year deal. Earlier, Kawhi made his demand. I need a ball distributor, a floor general, a point guard, someone to stop the haunting of my dreams of LeBron James. LeBron James. DeMarcus, what's the fly route for the Clippers solving their point guard dilemma? So at the the core of my fly route for this week, it is a trade of Lou Williams and a possible second round draft pick from the Clippers to one of three teams. I've gotten to the trade machine. I've done the math on the money and the picks and the values of each player. And I've got three trades that would give the Clippers a playmaking point guard, which is what they need to alleviate some pressure from Kawhi to initiate the offense. And I think this works for two reasons. I think Lou Will's got to go for two reasons. There's an on-court reason and an off-the-court reason. So off-the-court, we've talked about on this show before that there is some feeling among the old Clippers who were there before Kawhi and Paul George that those two were pampered. They don't like that. They don't believe in them. Um, like I said before, I think that's why Lou Will was at Magic City. Uh, but I got three trades for you. His dad died and he just wanted some fucking wings because he was not just there for the wings. Whatever, nigga. Why you even out Did here you lying? see the wings? I saw the wings. The wings look fire. Nigga, I would go for them wings. The, the wings look fire, and that's why I got three trades for you. We're going to call them the Lemon Pepper Lou Wills. All right? So the first trade I got, which I think is probably the best option for the Clippers, is trade Lou Will to the Brooklyn Nets for Spencer Dinwiddie and send the Nets a second-round draft pick. I think this trade works out for both teams. It's essentially a player-for-player player swap um, for two bench players. But I think Dinwiddie would be a starter in the L.A. offense. I think that he's a great ball distributor who can make plays, who, if I believe correctly, had like a high in assist lately. He's also a playmaker. So if you need him to make a play, you can do that. I think for the Nets, it makes a lot of sense. They get a second round draft pick back and you get the ball in Karis LeVert's hands more, which makes him a better player uh, whenever Kyrie's handling the ball. So I think that trade makes sense both on paper as far as the money um, as well as kind of what each team gets and why they would do it. So I think that's my number one scenario for the flyer out for how the Clippers get a playmaking point guard. I think the Clippers with their additions of like Serge Ibaka and then adding uh, Dinwiddie, et cetera, would be a really formidable opponent for the Lakers come playoff time. You really think the Nets want to part with Dinwiddie when they're about to go on a full out championship run? They're going on a run, exactly. They need someone else who can score um, in Lou Will. Do you know what he can score the ball? He can score, but he not Lou Will. 
And I think Lou yeah, Will also Will's wants out. defense is atrocious. That's the thing. Like, he's not Lou Will, but, like, you have to then make up for putting Lou Will on the court. Oh, I think, I think that's not a big problem. I don't think it's a big problem. I think there's enough upside on the offensive end for Lou Will on the Nets to make it work. I think you could easily have Lou Will help run the second unit for the Nets while you have um, Levert, Irving, Durant on the first unit. And I think, I think it makes sense. I think they can make it work. Don't know what they'll do, but just in case, I got two more of the, this three-piece lemon pepper for you uh, on what the Clippers could do. <laughs> so the second option I have for a trade of Lou Williams is Lou Williams to the Pistons, along with a second-round draft pick for Derrick Rose. Leave Derrick alone. No, no, no. I need Derrick to have one Leave more championship Derek run. Derrick alone. Don't you want this for Derrick? He this is just good wants for to play basketball and live close to his family. Like, seriously, that's all that nigga no, wants to do no, is just play no. ball and live I need him to get his a family. Ring. I need him to get a ring. He has looked better than he has in several years. He had, I believe, a 10-year high mark in assists last year with six a game. Um, he Now, I will say he was healthy all season for the Pistons, but part of, part of that's because Dwayne Casey had him on essentially a minutes restriction and didn't let him play very much. But I, I would like to see how Derrick Rose looks as a playmaker and a distributor in the Clippers offense where he still has a little bounce left in him. He can still make some. We, we've seen it. Mo- I know you love D-Rose. Derek alone. On paper, you know this trade makes a lot of sense. The Pistons it would get It makes sense a, for, the clip, for the Pistons. The yes. Pistons would get a second round pick back that would help them rebuild. We know they're bad. And it, like, it doesn't, like, I think it just makes sense. Now, the third trade is the trade I am least happy about to, 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 to put out there into the ether. I don't want to make it happen. But it's a Lou Will to the Mavericks trade. So in this trade, the Clippers would get back three players. So the Clippers would get back um, Finney Smith. They would get um, Reeves, what's his name, Um, and Jalen Bronson. So Bronson's looked really good for the Mavericks last year in the regular season. He averaged like seven assists a game, which is exactly what the Clippers need someone to initiate the offense and distribute the ball. The Clippers have been touching that. Finney Smith's a good... Score coming off the bench. The Clippers are not even touching that. Mm, it's the least likely of the three. I agree. But I think it gives, it's another option. But I think the, the part of the Clippers problem is a culture problem with Lou Will. I will add that Lou Will, the reason it makes somewhat sense for the, the Mavericks and the Clippers is Lou Will is on an expiring $8 million contract. NBA teams, as you know, love to get an expiring contract in a trade to free up cap space before the summer. And several teams are trying to go after Giannis next summer. Here's where I'll, here's where I'll hit you. First off, he only makes $8 million. So I think in a lot of these situations, his money's not going to be enough to move the needle. But more importantly, we all read the same athletic article. Why do you think Lou Will is part of this culture problem, but Pat Bev is not? Uh, I think they both are, but when you have less of them, it's, it's less of a culture thing. Okay. Like if I'm just mad by myself, that's just me being upset. But if it's me and my friend and somebody else over in the corner talking shit, then we had a culture problem for the team then. Okay. This is why I think it's you're more likely going to have to package Lou Williams and Pat Beverly to make salaries work because Pat Bev was their best trade piece because they gave him that $13 million multi-year contract last year before last season, right? And the salary match is going to be key. And since they re-signed Reggie Jackson, they now have a backup point guard that they just have in mind. He's not going to be the starter for them. He's not going to change their regime, but he can be part of their new thing. This is why for me, 
And this is the trade I've heard the most buzz about. And at first, I hated this trade the most. But after looking deep into the stats, the salary matches, and everything else, this is the most reasonable play, probably for both teams, but especially for the Clippers. They should make the play for Terry Rozier, Scary Terry, down in Charlotte. The reason why I think that is because it actually lets you either keep Lou Will if you want to keep that scoring off the bench, which you probably need more than you need Pat Beverly's defense. Or you can, and that means you can get him for like Pat Beverly and like Luke Kennard, someone that is end of your month rotation, makes his salaries match. But if you gave up both Pat Bev and Lou Will, you would also be able to get Malik Monk, who I think is a great two guard piece, can come off the bench, can score when set up efficiently. And that value back for the Clippers makes the most sense to me. And I think. When you're trying to go for the championship run, of all the people that we've talked about, Derrick Rose has probably seen the brightest lights, right? Absolutely. However, there's a lot of questions whether or not Derrick Rose wants to play with the Clippers. Like, your whole issue is just culture. It, it's very clear to me, Derrick Rose just wants to hoop and be by his family, period. Like, you remember the last year in Minnesota? Or the year in Cleveland where he disappeared. Mm-hmm. He just wants to hoop and be with his family. Like be close to his family. Like let him let him do him. He doesn't seem to be like ring chasing or into all of that other stuff. He seems to just be happy where he is. And if I'm wrong about that and Derrick Rose wants to play with Kawhi and the Clippers, I'll have the I'll have the Clippers jersey on immediately. And I'll talk my shit for the Chicago nigga all day long. However, I think Scary Terry is the best option that kind of fits what he wants to do with his career and fits where the Clippers are going. He's a player that's not afraid of the moment. He can pass the ball efficiently. And more importantly, he's going to get the maybe the best looks that he's ever gotten in his career and knows how to defer to better players from his time in Boston. He averaged 18 points last season, four assists. And I imagine if his primary responsibility is playmaking, those numbers can be higher. And he's a guy that's going to fall in line, which is clearly what they need and clearly why everybody thinks the next people to be out are Lou Will and Pat Bev after Trez did not get re-upped. So I'm of the mind that the scary Terry move, while I did not see it happening at first or see it as kind of being a best option, we're not going to get the splash we were looking for anymore. The Rondo-like splash is gone. It is. And when we're looking at it like that, I think scary Terry might be the highest impact player they can get with the salaries that they're willing to give up. So... Are you done? I don't want to cut you off. Yeah, you good. Go ahead. Here's my rebuttal. So if we're talking money, for my for my first two trades, the money lines up and makes sense. So right now, Derek Rose is scheduled to make a little under $8 million next year and is also on an expiring contract. So even if he got traded, which a trade is not like you want to play, you don't have a trade exception or a trade kicker or whatever, he get traded, he plan for LA. The money makes sense. It makes sense for Detroit. He think I think he's just still a playmaker for the Clippers. 
Now, for the first scenario that I talked about with him going to the Nets, Dinwiddie is making just a little over um, $11 million a year. So with the draft pick, and you can send a cash consideration, the money matches up there. They're now over the, the cap already, though. Yeah, but when you're the, the rules say that when you, if both teams are over the cap, okay, the team that's sending a player out can accept up to 120% back. So they can still go over more in a trade, 120% of the player they're trading away salary. So for example, if Pat or, or Lou Will is making $10 million and they traded him to the, the Nets. Lou Will is making eight. Though. But exactly the 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 both teams could still do it. It would actually make the Nets go have, spend less money. Oh, the Nets can do it. And I'm the Clippers cannot. No, no, the Clippers can based on the NBA trade rules. The money and everything the, lines up. The that makes pick sense. Is not enough, is what I'm saying. You would probably need to add either another low tier player. Just a cash. You can do cash. You can do up to five million cash a year under the cap and make the trade work. The difference in their contract is like two or three million. If you pick, throw in a pick and like a million dollars cash. That deal's going through. The money works. Now, I would say the Scary Terry move makes the most sense on the court, but it actually makes the least sense on paper as far as the money matching up. So Terry Rozier signed a huge contract for him. And this next coming up year, first off, he has two years left at basically 19 million and 18 million. Yes. If uh and and I I went ahead and looked up what Patrick Beverly's making. He's making 13 this year and 14 next year. Exactly. So uh the 13 plus the eight. And for Rogier, the Hornets have to make the money work even more. There's more of some math Malik Monk going is on there. The second player, and I'm not sure earlier. that they want Pat Bev though. I don't think they want his personality in that locker room where they want the team to be balls. So weirdly enough, I think they actually would want those veteran presence around someone like Ball, someone that is clearly has all the talent but not the work ethic yet, right? That's that's everybody. Everybody's concerned. Well, is he going to put in the work? Is he going to reach the next level that all his intangible, all his tangible say he should get to? Which is why I'm saying these actually might be the type of people that set the culture you want. You have him surrounded by veterans. His defense right now is his weaker side of the ball, which means if he's on the floor with Pat Beverly, that is actually more of a balance than it seems like. Hearing the two names together. Well, Pat Bev's definitely going to get in his ass. I mean, we saw what Pat Bev did to his brother on opening night, uh, Houston, L.A., a couple years ago. Covered, um, what's his name, uh, baseline to baseline. It, it's weird, but it's, you think about it, the culture that they want to set in Charlotte. So. Probably looks closer to, like, the culture that we had in the Clippers prior to the Kawhi Paul George era. We will see what GM Michael Jordan does. But he loves Rozier, according to he, he does. I think he does love him, but thus far, he's been a terrible GM, if we're being honest. The GOAT is a bad GM. So does that mean he'll make the trade or he won't? <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe he'll go for the Mavs trade. He'll try uh, to finagle the Mavs. Oh, the, the three teams. <laughs> the terrible trade. Yeah. He'll, he'll be like, yeah, I want that. I want Dorian Finney-Smith. <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm joking. Uh, I think your trade makes the most sense on the court. I think my trades make a lot of sense on paper and slash the court a little bit. Um, we'll see what happens. I'm excited for the Clippers. I do, just because as a basketball fan, I want to see a good series against them and the Lakers next year. And I think to get that, we need the Clippers to make a trade. I'll leave it at that.
Gallus Tony Playboy. Welcome to the final segment of our show, the heart of our show, Ballers Bouquets. Too frequently in the media, they only want to focus on the negative and salacious things athletes do, and they never want to give them their credit where credit is due. Here, we like to make a change. Yeah, and uh, this week, the bouquet is going beast mode. We're going to be giving this week's Ballers Bouquet to Marshawn Lynch and his Fam First Family Foundation. So first, let me tell you a little bit about his foundation. So the Fam First organization is dedicated to uplifting and empowering youth in the Bay Area and throughout the U.S. The foundation's mission is one of empowerment and education, aiming to build self-esteem and academic learning skills in underprivileged youth. The Fam First Family Organization is led by NFL athletes Joshua Johnson, Marshawn Lynch, and Marcus Peters, who have overcome significant amounts of adversity to become the men they are today. Even before joining the NFL, these NFL players were passionate about giving back to their community and helping the underprivileged youth succeed. So the reason that we're giving this award to Marshawn Lynch and his organization is because the past week, this past week, the week before Thanksgiving, Marshawn Lynch uh, was caught on video handing out turkeys in Hawaii. Sounds like a hilarious story. Very funny. The video for it went viral on Twitter. And it was on lots of people's feeds on Facebook, I'm sure. But when you dig a little bit deeper, you find that Marshawn Lynch has done this a lot. And he is such a quiet player who doesn't always want to talk to the media. So he doesn't get a lot of credit for the good actions that he does. Um, He only gets credit when he does things like make a beast quake happen. And I think we got to give credit where credit is due. So over the day, throughout that day, he handed out about 200 turkeys for Thanksgiving. Um, he was assisted by a few different partners, including other people from the foundation um, and the foundation itself and a couple of local Hawaii uh, organizations. So we have the uh, Tamara Supermarket, uh, the Young's Fish Market and uh, Barefoot League Hawaii, as well as former Hawaii receiver Chad Owens. And, you know, I got a big, big shout out. I know a lot of people do this, turkey giveaways, whatever, little Nino Brown, but I love it. Um, and I hate you, nigga. <laughs> Continue. You, you are distracting me from telling my heartfelt story about Marshawn Lynch giving out turkeys. Anywho, the organization is great. The organization, um, has opportunities for everybody to donate, to give money. And they also hold an event. I believe it's in January or February this year for black professionals from different, um, backgrounds to connect. So check out the organization. Uh, I think Lynch is a great player who could. Could, depending on what happens with the Seahawks, come back for a little playoff scenario again. Again. Uh, again. But uh, we got to give credit where credit is due. Uh, thank this man. Thank people in your community. And I want to challenge everybody to go out between now and the end of 2020 and do one good thing in your community. Be more like Marshawn. Do it. And don't post pictures on social media. Don't blast it on Facebook, on Twitter. Just do it because it's a good thing to do and go home and feel good about yourself. That's all this week. All right, all right, all right. That's it for episode 12 of the Fly Route Podcast. It's a, it, it's, it's a Playboy affair. Let's, 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 let's not play, boy.
As always, we want to thank everybody for taking the time out of your days to listen and hear what we got to say. We want to hear back from you all. We love the feedback that you've been giving us, incorporating your the segment ideas you all have. And we want to know, what do you all think? How should we frame this NBA and COVID discussions coming up? We're thinking about, you know, COVID and crossovers, hooping with COVID, COVID and cherry picking. We got a couple ideas out there. We want to know what you all think is the most catchy or interesting. And as always, let us know who you think won the debates. Who do you think the Clippers should make a move for when it comes to the point guard position? And who do you think are the top five teams in the NFL? Let us know on Twitter. Facebook or Instagram at the Fly Route Pod every Friday. We will see you next week.